set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle and crack it cold. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. This is Bruise and Tiny Teeth. Cool. All right, you got your uh, you got a beer in front of you here. I do have a beer, man. All right, local brewery. My neighbor owns a brewery, so I get all the free beer I need. Oh, dude, for real? Which brewery does he own? He owns Front Street Brewery. It's a local bar or local brewery around here. They but they're statewide in Cross Iowa. You know, I'm pretty sure I've had a couple of their beers in my Iowa yeah. days before. So that's if you cool. do cher- cherry blonde bomb, man, you love it. That's what cherry I blonde bomb. All right, I've got a. A few of uh, my pumpkin porters left from Back Pocket, which I you've been to Back Pocket in Coralville before, maybe? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Positive. Cool. Well, dude, uh, I'm going to give you a formal introduction here, but uh, I asked Brian Richards, my good buddy Brian, to be on the podcast tonight because, um, being honest here, Brian, I thought of you because you and I um, are on IPO, obviously, and there was a, a hot, I thought, a, a real interesting conversation that popped up the other day. Um, that kind of was hitting on the topic is the new way of treating some of these kids that we're seeing, you know, with all these real alternative conservative type methods is, are we doing them a favor? Is this a disservice? Is old school pediatric pediatric dentistry dead? And I'm like, I need to get Brian on to talk about this and ruffle some feathers because this is a, you know um, I, I have a deep respect for some of the old, old school tried and true, pediatric dentistry methods. So I kind of wanted to uh, open yeah, up that not, camera. I know you're not telling me old, Casey, right? No. Okay. Let me back up. I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> trigger you into any sort of safe spaces over there. So I'll back up from that. We're good. No, no, um, no, no. So Brian, uh, uh, go ahead. Can you get everybody caught up with like your practice background? Um, obviously we're both fellow Iowa guys, but Tell everybody kind of your training and your current practice. Um, I know that you do a lot of aesthetics. I think that's pretty interesting. Just tell tell us about like your practice load, your work week, the kind of patients you're seeing. Give us uh, the background on what you do. Well, see, I uh, graduated from Iowa's dental school in 98, um, went straight into pedo residency. Uh, I had a great residency class with me, got done in 2000, uh, came back to uh, Moline, Illinois, where I uh, uh in with my pediatric dentist and his partner, uh, great guys. And uh, I associated for six months and then bought out practice. And then uh, my partner and I just kind of, he was slowing down. I was young and wanted to go a hundred miles an hour. So we just kind of decided things would be better going to different practices. So I built my own practice, been by myself for 20 years now. It'll be 20 years in August that I've been practicing on my own. And, and, um, in my second building, it was, I rented up space for five years and then built out a place. Um, and the reason I built out a place was because I have some really good friends that, uh, are pretty big into cosmetics. And I was challenged to come out there as a pediatric dentist to learn how to do veneers. And I thought, yeah, that's something that might come in handy at some point. So I went out to Las Vegas to, uh, uh, training institute called LVI, and we, uh, you know, I, I took the first class, which was a comprehensive aesthetic course, uh, learning how to do and do veneers and how fast you could do a, a basically a ten unit veneer case. And from there, I got very intrigued with it, so I went through their full mouth curriculum. I um, opened a second practice next to my other one, so basically, you walk in my front door, I got two different sides and. 
So I did a lot of high-end cosmetics on adults, um, about 15 to 20% of my practice um, for about 10 years or so. And then when the economy crashed, that kind of slowing down and I kind of was burned out with that. And so we started doing a lot more uh, kids. We did a lot of Medicaid for a while and uh, just, you know, recently with some of the changes because of the Affordable Care Act, it kind of slowed down on that. And uh, so, but you know, my practice week, I'm uh, pretty much Monday through Thursday is where we were uh, with COVID. I have realized that we can crank that back even farther to uh, three and a half days a week and still make the same amount of money. So we're on a lot of three day, uh, three and a half day weeks sometimes. And uh, that's kind of where we are now. Mm. Uh, you know, I've always appreciated about you too. You're really good at... Uh convincing me and convincing people that, you know, you don't have to work, you know, balls to the walls, if you will, like all the time, like I see you posting a lot and we discuss how, you know, if, if, if you're able to do the same amount of dentistry in less time, you know, it, it's, I like that you take pride in the fact that you're able to scale back and say, man, this year, my goal is to only work 200 days and that's going to be awesome. And you do a really nice job of like, pacing yourself so you're not getting burnt out and you're doing the same amount of dentistry more efficiently in a smaller amount of time, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah. You know, it's Casey and I, and, and I realized, um, you know, and I, and I work for a good friend of mine. I, I go out to talk to mine just for the fun of it and work for a friend of mine out there. And she and I have always talked about this. And I, I, in 2019, before all this COVID stuff hit in 2019, I worked the fewest number of days I ever had by 20 less than the next year before that. And we produced fifty thousand dollars more than the than that highest year ever, and oh, that was one of those things. And and I have, I know people try to do the the hourly salary and things, or hourly wages and things like that. I don't like to do that, and I give my team members a straight salary. And you know, if they can get our production goals in three days, they great. Then we'll work three days instead of four days. Mm-hmm. That, so their incentive is to pack that schedule, get stuff to run efficiently, and then we can, you know, take an extra day off a week. For so, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's so instead of, you know, giving them a bonus to them, that's a bonus having time off. I'm fortunate. Um, my two chairside assistants have been doing one of them has been doing pediatric dentistry for 40 years and one's been doing it for 45 years. Um so they are incredibly well trained. I, I, I'm very blessed with that, and um, you know the partner that I bought out uh, and and his uh, were amazing teachers. So I, I mm-hmm. a lot of my success. Sure, sure. Well, tell me. Uh, I think you and I have really similar patient demographics, and uh, our practices are pretty similar, just from you know a demographic standpoint. But uh, explain to listeners just to give them some context what kind of patients you're seeing on the aggregate in the quad cities, uh, you know, like Moline, Davenport, Rock Island area. Tell us about your patient population. Yeah, I would say I'm, I'm actually on the Illinois side. So I'm in Moline, Illinois, and we have a much higher blue collar force here. We're, we're the world headquarters for John Deere. Um, we have another big factory. It's an aluminum factory in the area. Uh, so there's a lot of, of blue collar workers. Uh, we have a high migrant population here. Uh, so a lot of my uh, Medicaid uh, that are still in my office, I'm not taking new Medicaid patients for the last two years, but we still have at least 20% Medicaid in the mm-hmm. office. Um, 
you know, a great deal of them do not speak English. Um, but, you know, I also run the gambit up to, well, you know, coming from a, a father who is a physician, I have a lot of the uh, physician population as well. Uh, I, I don't have parents back in the back. You see, you know, you know, I've kind of talked about this. I was blessed mm-hmm. that that's what the did that I bought into. So that's kind of the philosophy that I came in with. So where I get a lot of my patients and where it really spreads are the teachers. Um, mm. That is a amazing demographic that for not having parents in the back, the teachers completely understand that. So, you know, when you get that, when you get that group on board, you, it's very easy to build a practice by word of mouth because they all have similar interests. Right. Right. Well, okay. So that was one of my talking points I wanted to run by you, uh, which times have changed a lot and, uh, philosophies have changed a lot on this, but as far as parents coming back in the op, um, you know, I just, uh, I like getting your perspective because you frequently have a lot of success doing operative, you know, pretty routine restorative operative work on some of these two and three year old kids with or without nitrous, with a rubber dam, and you're able to get it done, um, you know, in a lot of cases where some of the more modern techniques, uh, you know, Dennis might lean towards doing like hall crowns or some SDF or art, you tend to have a lot of success. I've, I've seen you, you know, get some of these kids done that are really, you know, really young and you are able to get it done. So um, I know having parents stay in the waiting room is kind of a part of that, but can you break that down for me and talk about some of your techniques on how, you know, your behavior management style lets you kind of have success with some of these tougher kids? Well, it, it starts like with what you said. I mean, the parents being in the reception area and not in the back is, is the key to the whole thing. Um, and getting, getting the parents to understand that, we are very, very big into getting a parent into the office at age one. So when we do the knee to knee exams, you know, you, if you can get them in at one, then you've got one, one and a half, two, two and a half. So you get three to four visits in the office with a parent that they're hearing and getting to trust you that at three years old, we're going to separate off the mm-hmm. kid to it by three years old. We rarely will have a kid crying at three. If we've got them in the chair, you know, one or two times at least. Um, I, I, I can't stress enough that that's probably the, what, what is our biggest success rate. Now, kids who come in at five and six, usually not an issue because they've gone off to school. Parents don't have a problem with it. The, the gray area comes for those new patients where the kid is three to four, five. Those are kind of the ones where sometimes the parents are a little bit more hesitant, but my team members are, my team members are really, really good about explaining to the parents on the phone calls that this is the way we do it. Um, we will have some parents balk at it, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would say one or two, one or two a year will come into the office and have a problem with it. I one not long ago that uh, the kid had been a patient of mine for years, the parent, the, the father and mom brought the child in for the first time with the dad to have the fillings done. Mom was not, happy with the fact that she had to wait in the reception area. I offered to stop. Mom said, no, go mom. At the end, the kid was great. Three and a half year old did a couple stainless steel crowns, a couple pulpotomies, you know, and, um, mom decided that she wanted to go somewhere else. It was uh, about two weeks ago. Mom called and wanted to come back to the office. Uh, 
but somewhere else, and the child pitched a fit. They want to do sedation. You know, I I'm not going to do that. I you know, you left my office for a reason, and you didn't trust me. After a, you know, we had a really great experience with the child, and and the kid was all happy. Went out, showed the kid mom her crowns. So, you know, mm. the, the point where it's not going to always be for everybody. And that's fine. That our niche is not to have the parents back, but that I think that's why that we can get done what we do. I, I, I don't own a poos board. Never have. I have nitrous. Um, I bought nitrous about six years ago. I got one of the new Porter century systems when they first came out. I thought, Oh wow, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. And um, I was going to use it as a moneymaker. I, I know people can make some serious, nice extra cash on nitrous honestly it, it drives me crazy because it takes longer it's the nose is in the way of the rubber is in the way of the rubber dam and mm-hmm. it, I, I do like the silhouette system that's the lower profile but you know it just takes too long and the cost effect of that just didn't it didn't pan out so it's now you know seven thousand dollar glove holder for me <laughs> and and how many times are you taking kids to that OR doing GA cases and stuff with your patient population because I know it's not nearly as much as a lot of uh, you know pediatric dentists in a similar similar situation. I can tell you uh, the last OR case I did was March of 2020. Uh, I have not done an OR case since then. Um, so before that, um, I was probably doing maybe 20 a year, 20 total cases. Mm-hmm. I, I, usually two cases. I'm going to do it on a Friday. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I do. I, you know, I go to a hospital. I don't have an anesthesiologist come in. I, 90% of those um, were Medicaid patients. Um, so, you know, it, it was easy to get the insurance covered. Uh, but I, it's not my style. I don't like to go to the operating room. I don't like to sedate kids and nothing against people who do. It's just not how we were trained at Iowa. And, you know, our, our goal was to try it first. And I, and I think that's, that's the thing that I see happening. And in what you and I've talked about a couple of times is, is the change in pediatric dentistry is to sedation dentistry and away from pediatric dentistry and behavior management. Again, nothing wrong with with if that's what people want to do. But my my beliefs are, especially some of these people that are, or some of the children that are four, five, six year olds that have four quadrants, and we go straight into sedation dentistry without at least trying traditional dentistry first. I think it would be amazing what people would find. Same thing with nitrous. I, I think there's a lot of nitrous used that doesn't need to be used. All power to people who want to use it, you know. But is the nitrous really working on? 75% of those did it really need to be done. Hey, if it makes money for people, great rock on it. That's what you want to do. I, I am obviously, uh, to demonstrate that we don't have crying kids. We don't have kids in papoose boards. We don't, we don't need the nitrous. Um, but you know, is it because I have such great skills? No, it's, it's not that it's, it's because we had the parents out of the reception room now mm-hmm. really good team members with great skills at keeping those parents out there. So that's, that's where a lot of our, our success comes in. And, you know, and again, you know, what, where we'll come into the issue is you'll definitely have the parents that are pacing during, okay, is my child doing okay? And those are the ones that we will have the parent come up and stand behind me. I have nothing to, 
you know, it's nothing that the parents can't see. It's mm-hmm. just, I don't want that kid to see the parent. And that's where we went over the parents real quick when they're nervous and then they can come back to the back and they can see the kid and having a good time and not having an issue. And we're doing fillings on their three, three and four year olds without any issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, I, uh, I totally agree. I think there's a lot of truth in, you know, it, it given the certain situation, it's not a bad idea to try it. Like it's, I see now, especially being a practice owner in a really high carries risk area, it does get easy to just want to be like, "Mm, this kid's got four quads of decay. You know, he's under six or, you know, seven and under, like, let's just sign him up for GA. Like, even if he's pretty well behaved. So, you know, and it's, it's something that I think comes with time and practice. Like I take a lot of kids to GA, but I do see a lot of Medicaid and also a high carries risk, but uh, certainly like you, I'm not afraid. Like if a kid's borderline and seems fairly cooperative, you know, I don't think it, it costs you a lot to try to get in there and, and get a couple quadrants done because I think a lot of times kids will surprise, you, you know, and if it's a kid, that's the type that maybe would benefit from parent being out of the room, you have that conversation, you get them out. And, and I, I kind of started going back to being a little bit more old school, like try and get it done in clinic not because I wanted to, but because I, I was kind of being selfish in my GA, like my sedation cases keep getting booked out further and further. And I think, man, if I don't try and do it in clinic now, this kid's going to sit around with these bombed out teeth for another three, four five months waiting to get in. Like, why don't we just go ahead and try it? And when I started doing these more, you know, kind of like your residency days, you kind of remember, man, a lot of these kids can, you know, do more than you think they can if you set them up for success. Oh, absolutely. And I, I I'm kind of hoping uh, with this whole pandemic thing with, you know, there's a lot of our colleagues out there now that, you know, would love to go parent free in the back. And I get, I get personal messages all the time, Casey, that, uh, mm-hmm. to, to put people under the bus or, or throw their names out there that, uh, on IP cause you know, that can get kind of a little, iffy. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. but I, I get a lot of people who ask me, how we do it. And, you know, I'm, I've got an open door. Anybody who wants to ever come see well, how we do it, it, you know, again, it's not me, it's my team members, but I would bet now that this COVID-19 shutdown where a lot of people went to no parents and, you know, a lot of people were parents in the, in the parking lot. I never did that. Um, we still had at least one parent would come in into the building but I think you're going to find a lot of people that are going to be able to go, okay, this is the time. Now I've got the chance to do this transition into that. And I think see the sedation numbers start to go down because people realize, okay, I can get these kids done. These kids are great without the parents around. Right. Right. That's a, Hey, what's a, Brian, what's the thing Jimmy Pinkham from Iowa always said, like if you, if he, uh, if he gave you a million dollars to extract a tooth on an alligator, you'd figure out how to get it done. I've always kind of liked that. If a guy came in with an alligator and told you you wanted to extract the tooth, you'd be like, heck no, I'm not going to extract that tooth. But if that same person walked in with that alligator and said, I've got a million dollars, I need you to extract this tooth on this alligator, you're going to find a way to. (laughs) Exactly. That's kind of the principle, you know, I, I, and I don't know how many of those guys you were fortunate to see Casey when you were there. I, I was blessed and, and, you know, some of the, some of my residents and people before me, we were all blessed with, with Art Nowak and Jimmy Pinkham and Mike Kanellis, you know, they were the gurus of behavior management. Um, I, I was fortunate to meet Marvin Berman as well, who was an absolute phenomenal person in behavior management. And those, 
those were my mentors. And, and, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not that we were all doing hand over mouth because we weren't, I mean, that's, that's not what we were taught, but you could definitely look at a child and it's not a screaming, yelling thing, but you could drop your voice, whisper in their ear. I learned that from my good friend, Ann Bynum to whisper in their ear. And, you know, you throw a kid off of what they're used to and they listen to you. And once they listen to you and you get your attention, now you can go into my, my favorite is, you know, you're not going to wake my baby up who's sleeping in the other room. If you do that, then we're going to do things the hard way. If you're quiet, we're going to do things the easy way. If I've got a three-year-old who's have, who is starting to cry and, and, and raise a fuss about having their teeth cleaned, I'll walk in and I give them the choice. You can have time you do things the easy way, or I can sit down and I can do it my way. I never say the hard way, but I just always say my way. And invariably, the kids will pick the hygienist, and the kid's great. And by the time I come in, they're happy-go-lucky, and everything's taken care of. They've already got their x-rays. You know, it's, it's very rare that we can get x-rays on a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it, it's all in perception of how you do it. And, you know, it's, it's not, again, like I say, it's not because I have some great skills. It's because I had great mentors teaching me how to do this. And we just run with it. And, and again, it's, it's my demographic niche that I, that I found. Uh, are there people who probably don't schedule with me because we don't have parents in the back? Absolutely. I guarantee mm-hmm. You know, right. the guys down the street who, who do more sedations do a great job, phenomenal dentist here in town who took over my old practice that I was in. And and he does a great job with that situation. But that's his niche. And right. so, you know, I, I don't judge anybody on that. But I but I definitely think there's times where some people, you know, are over pushing it a little bit too much. You know, I, I think a, a completely normal seven or eight year old that we're not at least trying to do the the dentistry in the office. And I, and I know there's people out there that are doing that. You know, I'm not saying that everybody doesn't does that, but there are definitely people out there that if it's four quadrants of dentistry on a kid under the age of 10, they're taking the operating room or sedating them or something along those lines. I, I don't, it, me personally, not to offend anybody, but yeah, that, I think that's a little overkill. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. You know, okay. So I have a, I have a question It's switching gears just a little bit, but, um, this has popped up a few times with my staff in my newer office here, and I know you do a really good job at this, and I'm interested to see how you make this work. But you've mentioned before on IPDO, and um, we've discussed this in the past, Brian, where um, you said your team, and you will sit down every once in a while, and you'll pick out like once a year, you know, a couple families or parents that are, putting it frankly, a pain in the ass parents, you know, or I don't know if they're delinquent on accounts or whatever, but you, we all know the type, you know, and I'm starting to see that now where you have a handful of families where like every time you come in, you roll your eyes and you think, Oh my God, like, I don't want to put up with these guys today. Like, and you have a way of, um, I don't remember the term you use, but you, you know, essentially dismiss or write a letter to so many patients a year. And, and you said it's really improved your office because of that. And I wanted to ask you that while you're on here. How do you go about that? Have you had any pushback? Because it certainly sounds nice in theory to get rid of some of those patients that you, you know, kind of just make your life sort of miserable when you see that they pop up on your schedule. Yeah, that was, that all came from my uh, days at LVI. Uh, I, I, when I started in LVI in 2002, when I was doing some training out there, um, thanks to my good buddy, uh, Dr. Matt Bynum, whose uh, wife, Ann Bynum, is a good friend of mine. Um, and they, that was a big thing out there is why are you treating people that you don't want to be around? Why is there, you know, why would you ever spend that much time with someone in your office? If you 
don't need to. And we, you know, when I transitioned that into us, I, I sat down with the team and I was like, okay, you guys, here's what we're going to do. We're, and, and this start, this was a challenge from Bill Dickerson when we were out there is that you had to go back to your office and you had to fire five families from your practice who you did not want to see anymore. And so I went back and, and I had two, I had two team members with me in Vegas. And so we were laughing about that going, okay, which ones are we going to pick? Because at that time we probably had 25 names that we could come up with. Oh man. Can't get rid of 25 people, but we, we decided, all right, you guys pick the five names and we're going to do this every year. You guys can pick the day. And I, I can't remember what day they used to pick. It was early in the, it was early in the spring. They would get together after, after work one day, I'd pay for them to go get lunch and drinks and, and they would sit down and they would name the five team. They would, they would all write down their top five and whichever ones got the most votes, then those were the ones that got the dismissal letter. Um, you know, we call it firing the patient from the practice. And <laughs> so we did that for about, Oh man, I probably 10 years, Casey. Uh-huh. And then, and it just weeded out some bad. People. Yeah. Yeah. So what's in that letter then? Like, what do you put in that letter that like, because I feel like if I do that, I'm setting myself up for a whole bunch of one star reviews, but is there a tactful way to do it? Or are you just like, nah, you're gone. Like, how do you do it? Well, You know, I'm just, you know, I'll throw this out. I've said this before and I say this on IPDO all the time. I could care less what my reviews are. I, I don't, I honestly think that we've put way too much worry into, into Yelp reviews and things like that. Um, you know, nowadays you can get all these services that, you know, and I've got it now too, because I, I signed up a couple of years ago. The, I can't even remember what we're using now. Cause I don't, I, again, I don't care. I let my team members do it. And, you know, we've got however many good reviews. I, it, to me, it doesn't matter as long as, you know, if you look at something and someone has a hundred one stars, that's a big deal. But if, you know, if you looked at somebody and they're a four star review and above, which almost everybody is going to be that, then I don't, I just don't put enough. I don't put weight on that kind of stuff. So, sure. you know, let me, let me be honest about that, that I don't care what re- my reviews are. I could care less. Um, but I didn't until I went to this course a couple of years ago. I honestly didn't even know what my reviews were. I had never, I had never looked at it. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the letter is actually, it's really generic. It, it just says, dear Mrs. And Mr. Smith, we're, we've come to a point in our, in our relationship where we don't feel that your desires and needs are the same as our practice philosophy. So at this time we've decided to part ways, you know, for the next 30 days from the receipt of this letter, we'll provide emergency care. But at this time we seek, we ask that you seek a, a new, uh, practice dental, dental home or something for your child. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's yeah. as long as I can't, I can't, you know, my, my, my old office manager wrote it out. It sounded great, you know, but mm-hmm. it's not, you don't, you don't want to give a lot of information there because if you say something too, you know, if you, if you go too into it and yeah, now you start getting the thing caught up, if, if they just open the letter and say, we've been dismissed from the practice, but it doesn't really say exactly, you know, other than our, we have different practice philosophies. It's, it, it's hard to get riled up about that. You know, we're not going mm-hmm. there and say, uh, yeah, we can't stand you and don't want you in the office. <laughs> That's a different story, but right. yeah, we, we definitely do that. And, and now my team members, they just have carte blanche. Um, if, if there's somebody on the schedule and we don't, we don't really have that 
as much anymore. I mean, you know, there's just we, we've 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 whittled that down over the last. God, like I say, I think we started in 2002 was the first time we started that. So you know, at this point now, if, if there's someone I don't like, I, we're just not going to see them. Mm-hmm. So we we just don't have those names that make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Everybody's dreading. You see them. They're on the schedule at three o'clock. So the whole day, that's all you're thinking about. <laughs> I know the type. Yeah. yeah and, and that's the whole thing. And that's why I tell everybody. It's like, you know what? You don't want those people and probably don't want the referrals from those kind of people. Right. Yeah. They're just going to draw more of the crazies that you don't yeah, need in your life. Everybody who's listening to them, they're probably similar personalities. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, in fact, I, I just did this and cause there was one family that was a dear friend of mine from high school and loved her to death. I saw her, I saw the husband, I saw the kids, but it was one of those, okay, the team members weren't getting rid of them because they knew that, that this person and I were friends in high school. And so I, I finally told them like, you guys are all worried about this. Send the letter. And so we actually dismissed them. They had moved away to a different town, but they still came back to see me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I broached this and I broached it. I'm like, this is, I think it's time that we, you guys find somebody back home. And, sure. and got rid of them too. Because again, that was the one that every year it was coming up twice a year. And it was just like, no. Oh yeah. I roll. Okay. So, so I, I've got uh I've got another topic here. We're going to shift again. This is going to kind of divert back to that first point I brought up with uh, the hot button on IPDO recently is, you know, the philosophical debates on some of the more modern carries management philosophies and stuff. And um, I'll preface this by saying, you know, I try to take a good blend of um, different techniques because unlike you, you know, I didn't get a lot of these you know, kind of icons and behavior management that are kind of long since gone from some of the training programs. So I, I do some of the, you know, um, interim therapeutic restoration art techniques, glass onomer stuff. I do some SDF. I do like hall crowns in certain situations, but they're usually my options two, three, and four. I still like to do, you know, definitive treatment, conservative stuff when I can. Um, and I'm not afraid to do a little voice control. I do behavior management, you know, with, uh, more voice control with some kids. But my question to you was, let's, let's dive into that. Are you doing any hall crowns, SDF, or like, um, you know, call it art or interim therapeutic, a traumatic restorative techniques, you know, like I call it my scoop and poop for some moms. Are you, are you doing any of these techniques um, ever? Do you do them very selectively? Give me your thoughts on some of these techniques here. Okay. So yeah, art, I, you know, and actually we learned art and I don't know when art exactly started, um, but I know it's a pretty relative, uh, relatively new term. Uh, Mike Canellis, and, and in case I don't know if you got to meet Mike when he was at the Delta. I did. Yeah, he taught a lot. He's great. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So Mike was really big into art. Um, but at that time, you know, glass ionomers were horrid, absolutely horrid, and, and they didn't work real well. They didn't stay in real well. And so you know, everything you were doing, you were redoing. So I. I never liked that because I wanted definitive treatment. Um, I didn't want to have to go back in on a kid. And, and so I was never real big into art. You know, will I, will I drill out a tooth occasionally if it's real, real small and I want to do something and, and do it without anesthetic? Yeah, I'll do that. Um, mm-hmm. I, but for the most part, I, 
95% of the time, I'm going to numb that tooth up and I'm going to do complete caries removal and put, um, for primary teeth, I use direct, use the hybrid. Um, that was a big Kevin Donnelly thing back in, in you know, mid nineties, uh, was Kevin was really big on that. I love it. I still love it. it I have very, very, very few recurrent decaries in interproximal. Mm-hmm. Um, is that because of that material? I think the material is great, but I also think we have a really great hygiene program. So we just don't have a, we don't have a very high recurrent pay rate, even on our Medicaid. Um, our pay rate is less than 10% on these kids. And so I, I, I consider that pretty, pretty good for, especially that kind of a population. Right. But, and to your point too, you know, I think, I think I, I got to interject to make this point. I think dentists get guilty of thinking if some of this work that they're doing has a higher fail rate, you know, maybe it's important to shift back and say that we've got to, we can't take full responsibility for some of these restorations turning out the way they do. And I think a lot of dentists don't put enough emphasis on, um, on their hygiene department. So I really like the way you just said that, you know, we have a great hygiene department, like, um, you know, we teach kids how to brush their teeth. We emphasize home hygiene, like it's getting drilled in their head every appointment. And I think a lot of offices and, you know, dentists get so caught up in just drilling, drilling their way out of a problem that they forget that, you know, that's a huge difference maker in, in their practice. So I like well, there's definitely people on IPDO that, and I love their, their idea that you, we have to think of things in a, in a different mindset. Um, I don't necessarily agree with all the, the stuff we're doing right now. Um, but I like their idea, the mindset, you have to change the way the direction goes with, you have to get the K under control. Well, that's not, that's not a new thing now. I mean, that's something we were doing 20 years ago. The offices that have a good hygiene program and teaching the parents and educating the parents, they're, they're not going to have a high recurrent decay rate. It doesn't matter what the material we're using is. It it has to do with what they're eating, how their home care is. Are they flossing? You know, are did they get exposed to streptococcus mutans? All of that ties right. in. Um, but, you know, SDF, do I use SDF on front teeth? No, I'm not doing it. I, I can tell you now. Um, is Does it work great in some people's hands? Absolutely. I can't tell you the number of people who have come into my office with SDF on their teeth. The parents are going, fix this. My husband is so mad that we did this to their teeth. You know, and and did it stop the decay? Yeah. Is it great on anterior teeth? I mean, honestly, when you really sit down and you explain it to the parents, if you've got quite a bit of decay and there's an issue and you go, we can do this and stop this for right now. If we can go to the operating room or you, you can take those teeth out and yeah, is, are the person, is the kid going to be without teeth for a couple, three years? Sure. Are they going to notice that? No, not really. And people aren't going to notice that, but what they do notice White teeth with black all over them and super embarrassed by that. So no, I, I absolutely don't use SDF on front teeth. I, and I, I don't think I ever will. Uh, will. Do I use it on occasional posterior teeth for primary teeth? Yeah, me personally, I, I, I like definitive treatment uh, where I use SDF and I use it quite frequently is on hypoplastic molars. I think that's, I think that is the a game changer for hypoplastic teeth and not having overly sensitive teeth when you go to restore those. So that's where I use SDF a lot. I, I don't use hall crowns. I, I'll be just, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't, I can't tell you the last time I haven't been able to treat a normal 
Uh, okay, I guess normal is in the political. I see what you're. Yeah, I know the direction. Yeah, a child who was not who's who's not mentally or physically challenged that was over the age of three. I've never taken one that was over the age of three to the operating room ever or sedated them. Um, you know, going to the operating room on a three year old a couple three times in my career, but mm-hmm. you know, ninety nine percent of the time I'm going to get that done in the office with anesthetic, and yeah. so you know. It, <laughs> I'm not strapping them down. I'm not holding them down. I mean, we just we just get it done. It's, it's it just works without a parent in the back. Um, mm-hmm. And other people out there on IP though, that are the same way. Um, mm-hmm. And what's funny is a lot of them that pipe up are, are Iowa grads. But yeah, so I don't <laughs> done hall crowns. I can't really say one way or another. I, I you know I I'm a big occlusion guy. Um, I know that the hall crowns eventually seat themselves into place and all this, but. For me, I I don't it, it's not my thing. Um, mm-hmm. I of all restorations I place, so you know I, I know that they're not high. That's just what I've sure. always done. So, can I so, um, can I uh, share just if you don't mind me take over for a second? I have an interesting uh, patient scenario that I had like a month ago that's real relevant to this. I might share real quick. Um, yeah, so. It kind of is going to what you said, but this was a special needs kid. I, this was like a perfect hall crown case. Um, and these are the type of situations I seem to use it the most is uh, either special needs or like really young, almost pre-cooperative kids um, where parents, you know, they don't have enough decay to go to, you know, do, I do in office GA, but not enough decay to do general anesthesia, um, or they have a health condition that keeps them from going or parents can't afford it. Um, maybe they just have one or two teeth. Like those are my candidates, but I have, uh, I think he's five now, a five-year-old kiddo. Mom's been coming to see me since I opened, but he's got tetralogy of Fallot. Um, and I think it's repaired, but there's, you know, residual problems and he's, you know, got a lot of disabilities, behavioral and developmental disabilities. Um, very uncooperative, uh, you know, every time he comes in, he just, he's a cute kid, but he just throws a fit. He's a, you know, big Husky kid. Mom's really cool. But, uh, when he came to see me, K and T were like super broken down, hypoplastic, like not into the pulp, no way in hell you're getting x-rays on this kid. Um, but he also is the type, like you definitely, like, I obviously can't sedate him in office and pretty much unless he's going to a big university setting, like he's not getting sedated and mom's a single mom and has private insurance. So it's just a combination of like, really tough factors. And he is not cooperative, like spits, gags, rolls, that sort of thing. I don't keep a papoose board in office. So he was a great candidate and it worked out really, really well. Like we had him come in when he was fresh early in the morning, had a head holder and a molt, got him propped open. Mom held hands. I kind of walked her through what the appointment looked like. We sized up a few hall crowns and, you know, plopped him over K and T got a nice, good tight fit glass on cement key tack. And, uh, I just saw him for a recall a couple days ago. Horrible appointment, alligator rolling, crying, kicking, screaming, but like the teeth look great. And I think, I don't know what else I could have done for that kiddo short of sending him to a university and having him sedate, sedated, you know, with a high risk sedation for two teeth. But those are kind of the situations where like, I think it's a really, you know, it's a good tool, but I just thought that was an interesting one where that was a, a really good situation for it. And so far, so good. I haven't seen him followed up for three, four or five years. But, you know, the, I think if you're really case selective about it and you're not using it as your first go-to, as long as, you know, you're using it 
appropriately and you're, you know it's not super deep decay into the pulp you know you make sure you're getting it seeded all the way it's the appropriate you know it's all about case selection that i think you can have pretty good success with them if done properly oh, absolutely casey and, and exactly what you're saying is the exact reason why hall crown technique can be used but exactly what you said is there are way too many people i think that are going first line of defense with that. That's my opinion. I, I know that's not going to be a popular opinion with some people, but you know, if you've got a, a four or five year old that has a tooth that probably needs a stainless steel crown and that's the route you go without trying it first. I don't know, man. I, that mm. to me, I, I'm, I'm a traditionalist. I take the decay out, get it done. Right. Do it. You know, it, it's, it's what I would do on my kid's teeth. It's what I would do with my brother's kid's teeth. I, that that's just my feelings. I I don't I don't think it's first line defense. I think it's it's a it's something in our toolbox to use in the exact situation like you just said. Um, you know, or, or you know, a, a kid who's two or three that's pre cooperative. Um, right. But again, exactly. again, it comes back to I, I think, and, and I run into this the office I go to because parents are back for the um, the recall exams, and you know, there's a lot more kids. That, get scheduled for sedation because, you know, the, the kids act up a lot more. And and the last thing you're going to do is look at that kid and go, you need to knock it off right now. When, you know, it, it's just, it's our nature. We don't do that. And, and so you, you have the tendency to say, okay, we're going to, you know, mom, we're not going to be able to do this in the office. We're going to need to sedate your child. Yeah. And we run into that. And, 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 I, and I honestly think that that's why all these techniques are becoming popular is because we're afraid to use what we were taught back in the 80s, 90s and 2000s, early 2000s. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just it's been a big paradigm shift. I, you know, I don't know what your you, you, what your sedation training was when we were at Iowa. Um, we. We had nasal versed. That was it. Uh, they, you know, there were other guys who were using chloral hydrate and Demerol concoctions, and you know, I, I think that probably worked great. I think people had great success with that kind of stuff. Uh, there weren't dental anesthesiologists coming into an IV sedation, but it, you know, it's not it's not fail safe. And and when when it goes great, it goes great. But when it goes wrong, and it happens in your office, that's bad. Yeah. And like the big hospital where you're right there when something goes wrong. So I, I, I don't know, man. That's it for me. It's, it's something I never wanted to do in my office. I never wanted to take that chance. And, and I, I'm more of a, if I'm going to go to the operating room, I'm going to the hospital where it's going to be done with the anesthesiologist. And if there's a big problem, we're there in the hospital and we're good to right. go. Right. Right. You know, um, I think the voice control is, uh, it's going to be a lost art here pretty soon. And um, I don't, I don't do it as much as like, you know, you and Todd Hebner, Mike, you know, some of my, you know, some of my mentors, I guess, if you would say, uh, the guys that have been doing this a long time, because that was a bigger part of training because some of these sedation options weren't available. So you had to get it done. And, um, but I still, I, um, you know, you can comment on this as well, but I, I walk the line carefully with my, I call it my dad voice in office when I'm explaining it to moms, but you kind of get a read for like, which kids are genuinely like really nervous and are maybe going to benefit from some laughing gas or sedation um, versus which kids are just naughty and just don't get, 
told no at home. So if I'm trying to read a kid out and the kid's got cavities, you know that they're cooperative. They're just naughty and they get everything they want at home. Um, and I'm sensing that I'll tell mom like, Hey mom, you know, when you see a thousand kids, you get pretty good at reading some of them. And this is just a power play move on his part as he's trying to establish some control here. Um, so what, uh, what I think we need to do is if, if it's okay with you is when we bring him in to fix his cavities, I'm going to have you hang out in the waiting room. He seems like the type of kiddo that might do really well with a dad voice. And what I mean by that is like, if he's, you know, I just need to set some ground rules for him. Hands going to be on our belly. He's got to breathe through his nose. I don't want his voice up. And if he, you know, breaks any of these rules, I'm just going to have to raise my voice and kind of get loud and stern with him. So he knows what's going on. And a lot of, half the time, if, as long as you prepare parents for that, moms are like, Oh my God, absolutely. Like I have to do that with him all the time. That's what his dad does at home. Like that works great. Like you do your thing. And that way you don't just pull it out of nowhere on a kiddo. Cause I, I do have parents come back. Like I, I tell them they can, if they want to. So I'm always conscientious. That's just my more modern style of doing it. But at least I, I think you can get into trouble if you don't warn them you're doing it. But I think it's, it's an important skill to keep up because there are a lot of kids that I can keep out of doing a sedation in my office because you know, you know, kiddo, you know, it's, it's all a power play on their move. They get in the chair, they're going to try you out, size you up, you know, and just see, is this guy really in control? And you tell him, Hey, my rules here, buddy, hands go on her lap. And then first thing he does is he puts his hands up there. Like, hey, what did I tell you? Hands are going to go on her lap right now. We're done. You might play this game at home. You don't play that here. You're going to sit there and be quiet. And all of a sudden the kid's eyes get all wide. He's like, Oh my gosh, like nobody's ever talked to me like that before. Like, you know, and, and kind of like you had said earlier in the podcast, like they're just, you know, when they're not used to that, like all of a sudden they're like, man, this guy means business. And a lot of times you can get it done. So I think it's an important skill that I would encourage, like for, you know, for a guy that hasn't been out of residency a long time, I think it's a good skill to keep up for some of the younger residents coming out. Like don't, don't dismiss trying to keep your voice control skills sharp. If it's something you're comfortable doing, because I think, uh, I think it, it can be useful at times for sure. Oh, and, and absolutely. And you, you hit and unfortunately, um, you know, unfortunately and unfortunately, you know, our, our profession, when, when I came out there, there weren't as many female pediatric dentists and it's, it's just society is, you know, the moms are the, the nurturing ones and the dads are the rule makers. I mean, that's, that's a little bit general stereotype, stereotyping, mm-hmm. but in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's true. And so I think the, the man who has, you know, and I, I, I never yell. It's, it's, it never works, but it's a drop your voice. This is, this is how we're going to do this. It, that, that stern voice comes a lot across a lot better than the pretty female who, you know, doesn't necessarily have that deep tone of voice. Now there are definitely some friends of mine that are females that, oh yeah, they can, they can lay it down when they need to, but there's also, it's, it's, it's society is kind of against that whole thing. Unfortunately, you know, right. Maybe, Exactly. Change. But that that is where where a voice control comes really handy for a guy. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah. you know, I ever, whenever I drop my voice within within 15 seconds of doing that, I'm coming back with a really goofy, funny guy. And, and so it really keeps the kids off kilter. And mm-hmm. you can't just go as the, always the mean guy because then it never comes back around. The kid never gets past that. <laughs> <laughs> right. you know, which, which to me, I, I want I'll take all out screaming, kicking, crying over that hyperventilating nervous thing that, that some kids do. Cause that one, I, that one's hard to do because the kid's constantly shaking and it's hard to work. Mm. Yeah. I got to give a shout out. If anybody ever wants to see the, the, the most, uh, the most impressive voice control you'll ever see, 
Go watch my boy Jerry Brantner. Shout out to Jerry. That guy can make the toughest kid just like he he gets it done. I mean, you know Jerry, but man, that guy, his voice control makes me like, a, you know, want to be on my best behavior and I'm 30 years old. So you know absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and it works. And it, you know, it, it, it's not for everybody. It is absolutely not for everybody. But for a lot more people, I think it'd be a great, you know, we, we talked, we were just talking about the, the, the tools in everybody's toolbox and, you know, SDF, Hall crowns, art technique, voice control really needs to be in there. And, and, and I'm a, I think that we've gotten away from that as we've taken that out of our toolbox, you know, hand over mouth, you know, that was a really effective technique uh, when, you know, we, we saw that used, but, you know, is that worth it? No, not, not anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual dropping of the voice and, and telling a kid, this is how you are going to do it is really hard to do because we've let society tell us that you're not going to discipline my child, you know, and, and, you know, God bless the grade school teachers because their hands are tied now. You know, when, when I was in school, it was the teacher's rules. It wasn't what mom and dad weren't going to protect me. If I was getting in trouble to school, no, the teachers are going to discipline us. Oh my gosh. You couldn't pay me enough to be a teacher in today's day and age. No, no, no way. And, 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 and that's the same thing that's happened with pediatric history is, you know, back in the back in the eighties and nineties, there wasn't an issue with parents. No, you're you're not going to be interfered. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to get your kids done. But as, as things changed in the two thousands, and this generation came through, you know, there there is no discipline. You know, we, it's 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 a lost art in every aspect of life. In yes, dentistry. It's it's a lost art at school. It's a lost art at home. And you know, the word no has has lost the, the, the vocabulary in a household in some places, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think it's only going to get worse as kind of my millennial generation comes about because they're, you know, it's just a inherent nature of that. So I totally agree, Brian, I'm going to, I want to wrap this up with one last question. Cause I, I'd like to know your answer on this as, uh, as I finish this last swig of my beer here, but being the old, uh, the old bull in the bullpen here, being out and doing this, 20 or 30 years or however long you've doing it. You know, when you look back, a lot of these listeners on this podcast are going to be guys kind of my age residents, you know, maybe a few dental students, but a lot of, you know, young professionals, young pediatric dentists. So um, any big piece of advice, like if, if you had a biggest piece of advice you had to give to a young dentist, like if you were coming out of residency now in 20, you know, 2021 with the changing times, what advice would you give to a, a new young up and coming fired up pedo grad coming out of training right now? I think the most important thing you got to have fun. If you're not having fun, you got to you got to figure that one out fast. Um, you know, I still enjoy the office. Um, I am friends with my team. Uh, you will go out. We'll get beers. We'll do things on the weekends together. I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, you still have to keep a little bit of a fine line there, but but you absolutely if you got to be able to be friends with your team. Um, so the to me, the, what's going to make your office run is your team. You have to find that good team. If you've got a cancer in your office, you got to cut that one out. Uh, I would, I would definitely say that the not having families in your office that make you cringe. Um, but the other thing is that I see happening right now. I see a lot of people grinding, doing five day weeks, doing Saturdays. I, I you know, it, it's not. 
I don't think I would ever go into that. I, I Saturday is my family day. And I'm not going to sacrifice my time to work on Saturdays. I don't know what you're what you're doing for hours, though, Casey. But not Saturdays. No. Yeah, if, I, so if I ever tell you I'm doing Saturdays, you just come drive down here. And no, man. I think I head. would. I, I think you know it's probably a good thing you just said that because we'd spend the next five minutes me bitch slapping you. For that. Uh, yeah, that'd be a bad deal. Yeah, no, no, if, I, no Saturdays. I I, yeah, and and but you know I I listened to you know you brought up Todd Hefner, who I I think is a phenomenal guy. Love him to death. Uh, he and I were in residency together. I thought he was a, he's a great clinician, but there was a time when Todd was, was running five days a week and, and he was packed and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You know, if you're dude, that, he still does, he's still five days a week. I mean, that man works harder than any, and he runs like 70 kids a day. Like I'm like, Todd, you're going to take like 10 years off your life doing this, but that's just, he only knows one speed and it's, so, so it's Todd's just, so Todd's been practicing for 19 years doing that. And, and, and again, Todd, if you listen to this, man, I love you to death and let's get a beer. <laughs> he, um, he's he's I, one of my good buddies. So it's cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 you know, again, like I say, Todd and I, Todd and I were real tight in residency. You know, and I like the guy a lot and he's a phenomenal guy. He does great practice, but you know, there comes a point when if you're, if you're that busy to me, I'm raising my fees. I'm going to drop Ooh. some insurance companies. I'm going to raise my fees and I'm going to do that same amount of production in four days versus five days. Yeah, that's hard because people just have this thing like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose patience. Well, yeah, but if you don't, if you can still see the same amount of people and make the same amount of money in four days versus five days, why do it? There, there comes a point when you, you can't be everybody's dentist. And, and that's, you know, I've always lived that mantra that you, you cannot be everybody's dentist. So pick your number. What do you need to make? Figure out how to make that in four days versus five days. And right. That's probably my biggest thing is I would tell people is so that you don't get burnt out. And and you you've seen it probably already with some of your friends already, Casey. And and, and you know, mm-hmm. I've watched to my friends, one of my dearest friends, uh, one of my our wedding with us, um, you know, he he was in the grind and you know, he hated dentistry. He built up a practice and sold it, and he built up another practice and sold it because he 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 was working so hard he had no time for his family. And right. you know, so that's where I, I think people just need to get into that and you know. But yeah. most of you have fun. You got to have a great team. I mean, those, yeah. those are, that's the winning success right there. I think so. And and to to attribute to what you just said, you mentioned staff probably five or six different times in our conversation about my staff does this for me. My staff does this. It's all about great staff. So I think, um, you know, in my short amount of time doing this, I think there's a ton of truth in treating your staff like family, making sure they're well compensated, take care of them, treat them like you would want to be treated. And it's going to make your life uh, a lot, a lot better. And I, I learned that every day, you know, my team, I'm taking my, my girls to an escape room on Saturday and to a brewery just to have some hangout time and catch up. Cause we've been busy. And I think, um, I think that's, that's kind of thing goes a long way and, and gives you more fulfilling job. So lots of truth in what you just said in those answers, my friend, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, sure. and like I say, I've, I've, I've got two team members. Well, I have three teamers with me for 20 years. Um, you know, sometimes, you look at the formulas on how much you're supposed to pay a team member and man, you see these offices that they've got turnaround every two, three years. I don't want to do that. I want the person with me for a while. Yeah. I may not make quite as much or I may have to pay that person a little bit more, but I'm also not having to train somebody else and I'm not thinking, and I know what's going to get done. And so the extra money that I paid my two chair side team members that I've never had to have a hire a second chair side team or a third chair side team member. It was worth every penny that I paid that man. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Brian, dude, this has been a really good conversation. I appreciate you coming on. We uh, we hit a lot of really – no, man, really, really good topics tonight. So this was a great discussion, and uh, I think we need to have more conversations like this in pediatric dentistry. So that's that's my way of saying we're going to do this again sometime in the future, if that's cool with you. Absolutely. I'd love to. I appreciate you thinking about me. You know, again, like I say, I don't, I'm not trying to offend anybody. This is just my way of practicing. Um, it's, you know, it's just my niche. It, it, I'm not busting on anybody for the way they practice. I think it's just one of those things that you got to find what works best for you. Um, Absolutely. You, you can't, you can't fault someone for trying to do this traditional style and it does work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Brian, man, you have a good right. night and uh, let's catch a beer sometime next time I'm back in Iowa. Love to you, brother. Take care, man. All right. Have a good night. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to Brews and Tiny Teeth. The best way to say thank you is by telling your friends so we can grow the podcast. So be sure to share and leave a review. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.